Reading is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 1 through 7. Do not have glasses? Bear with me. <laughs> All right. Oh, sorry. It's on page 6 of your bulletin if you'd like to read along. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for, whatever would draw, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Good morning, Grace Meridian Hill. I almost, I almost said good morning, Grace Mosaic, but I had to remember where I am. <laughs> Oh, uh, my name is Erwin Inns, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors on staff in our Grace DC network of churches. And this month, I have the distinct privilege of bringing the Word of God to you uh, each Sunday in July. And what we are doing, this is the second Sunday, uh, we started last week, we're doing a short five-part uh, series out of the letter to the Hebrews, uh, titled, In Need of Endurance. Uh, in Need of Endurance. This, that short little phrase comes out of the 10th chapter of this letter, where the pastor, that's who I call the author, I just call him the pastor, says to the Hebrews, you have need of endurance. But after you have done uh, the will of God, you may receive your reward. We all, in wrestling through particularly the life of faith, find there come points in times where we realize we have need of endurance. And so this morning, you heard our passage from the first seven verses of chapter 11, I'll say to you that we're going to spend the next three weeks this week and the next two Sundays in this chapter of Hebrews uh, with this sermon title, Endure by Faith. Endure by Faith. And there'll be a subtitle each week, and this morning's subtitle is X-Ray Vision. Endure by Faith, X-Ray Vision. And the point of the message is this that God commends the type of trust that holds firmly to reality in spite of what things look like. That God commends the kind of trust that holds firmly to reality 
in spite of what things look like. Would you pray with me now? Father, we have sung this morning your praise. We have sung, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him over and over. And yet we sang at the same time, oh, for grace to trust him more. Lord, would you be merciful to us this morning and through the preaching of your word that is living and active and sharp, would you meet us where we are and give us what we need? And particularly, Lord, if we are in need of faith, would you be pleased to give us the gift of faith? If we need to be encouraged, would you encourage our souls in your gospel? If we need to be corrected, would you be merciful to us and correct us so that we would be people who live not for our own glory, but for the glory of Jesus Christ, our King. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Well, I'm sure if you looked at the sermon title or you heard me say X-ray vision, you were probably figuring out that there's got to be a superhero reference somewhere in this sermon. And you would be right. Of course, who is the superhero we all know that has x-ray vision? Was that? Superman. Superman, thank you. Indeed. And you know, there's a lot of interesting information out there on the internet about how Superman's x-ray vision actually works. If you are interested, you can uh, Google it at some point in time. And one site raises this question. If Superman has x-ray vision, can he give you cancer? <laughs> have x-ray images, uh, you know, you, you have these x-ray images when you go to the dentist, right? Done of your teeth, you know, that, uh, that's, that, that when the dentist puts you in that chair that looks like it's a lounging chair, but it's not really for lounging. And they recline you back and they're oh, I'm going to take x-rays. And the attendant puts that thing in your mouth and says to bite down. It's got that little circle. And then they put that machine, they, they wheel it over, right? And they put it there and they put this lead apron over your chest. And then what does the attendant do? That's exactly right. They leave the room. And so it's a legit question. Does Superman's x-ray vision, can it give you cancer? Can it cause cancer when he looks at people? Well, if this man, Stephen Schilling, is, uh, who is a self-described comic aficionado and illustrator is correct, you and I do not need to worry about whether Superman shows up and looks at us with his x-ray vision and causes us cancer. You don't have to worry about it. Because he believes that Superman's retina are sensitive to the entire electromagnetic spectrum. Therefore, you wouldn't get cancer from Superman's eyes because what Superman is doing is perceiving the x-rays which are always present and passing through your body. He's not projecting x-rays at you, bouncing them off of something behind you and back through your body so that you could see them. Now listen, I have absolutely no idea whether Mr. Schilling is right. 
Those of you who are physicists and chemists and biology majors can, uh, can tell, tell me if you think he's right uh, or whether right, right, it actually matters at all since Superman's not real. <laughs> However, <laughs> the idea of Superman perceiving what is already there because his eyes are sensitive to its presence is exactly on point with what the pastor is emphasizing for us in our text this morning. The question, the question is, what is faith? And what does it mean to live by faith? And the pastor is about to answer that question for us. In fact, right, the first three words of verse 1 of chapter 11 is, now faith is. You see, a lot of people simply define faith as wishful thinking. It's hoping that things are going to work out well, even though you're not really sure. And when the Bible talks about faith, it never presents faith to us as wishful thinking or simply as a wish for something better. Even if we say, no, 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 I get that. I know uh, that when the Bible talks about faith, I know it's not talking about a wish or a fantasy. Even if we say that, that, that we understand that, our lies will often declare the opposite. We struggle to believe that what the Bible says is true because every one of us in here, including me, would much rather live by sight than live by faith. We can put the spiritual realities in the fantasy compartment of our brains because it's hard to be confident in the fact that the heavenly realities that the Bible gives us are more real than what we experience with our five senses. This passage, if you will, is about having eyes that are sensitive enough to perceive the truth in spite of what things appear to be. The pastor helps us take faith in God and his promises out of the fantasy department and into the firmest position of the realist reality. He wants his congregation to know. He wants us to know the blessing of enduring through life by faith. In these first seven verses of chapter 11 points us in that direction. And so here's how we're going to work through these seven verses with these three things. We want to talk about what faith sees, what faith receives, and what faith seeks. What faith sees, what faith receives, and what faith seeks. Now, I didn't really uh, subtitle this, uh, this sermon X-Ray Vision because I wanted to talk about Superman. I did it because of the connection between sight and faith that brackets this first section. Faith in the unseen, faith in the things that we do not see undergirds the message of this entire chapter, but it is of specific note in verses 1 to 3 and verse 7. He says, now faith is the assurance of what we hope for. It is the conviction about the things we don't see. For by it, he says, the people of old received their commendation by 
faith, we understand that the universe was created by the God's utterance such that what is seen did not come to be from the things that are visible. And then he says in verse 7, by faith, Noah, after he was warned about the things that were not yet seen, because he was devout, he built an ark in order to save his household. And through this salvation, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that corresponds to faith. Back in 2010, a new version of the movie, The Karate Kid, came out. I know some of y'all saw it, right? Uh, in the, uh, 12-year-old Dre, played by uh, Will Smith's son, he moves with his mom from, from Detroit, Michigan, to China, and things don't go well for Dre. There's this one line uh, in the movie that, that brought out our need to see what's really real. Dre had just been beaten up by the bad kids, and Mr. Han, who works as a janitor, steps in and saves him. And he chases off the kids, uh, that, uh, and he's taking care of Dre and, and Dre's injuries. And Dre looks at him with a puzzled look on his face and says, I thought you were just a maintenance man. Like, how do you kick that tail like that? I thought you were just a maintenance man. And Mr. Han says, you think only with your eyes, so you're easy to fool. That's the problem that the pastor is trying to shake the Hebrews out of. They are thinking with their eyes. In the context of this book, what seems real to them is the old order of worship at the temple, the tabernacle, and the priests, and the sacrifices. Had we been working through this entire book, we would have seen how the pastor repeatedly tells them that those things that they are hoping in are obsolete and ready to vanish away. He told them in the first verse of chapter 10, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Those things, he said, are only a shadow of the good things to come and not the true form of the realities. Seeing... And setting your mind on that, he's saying, is why y'all are easily fooled. You and I, when we walk out in the street on a sunny day, we cast a shadow on the ground. When you, go, when you walk up to people on a nice, bright, sunny July day, and you see somebody, and you notice they've got a shadow, you don't stare looking at the shadow and talking to them, do you? No, you look up and you see the person in front of you. You're not focused on the shadow. You're focused on the person. So the pastor has been saying to him, why are y'all focused on shadows? I know that building, that the temple, uh, uh, it, it, that, that those bricks, I know it's, it's real. I know you can touch and you can feel it, but it's a shadow. Why are you setting your eyes on it? It's the same with us. We can think only with our eyes. So if everything around me is all good, <laughs> then I'm good. If everything around me, I, I see around me, including me, is jacked up, then I'm jacked up. Do you know, if you don't, you can ask Pastor Yancey, he'll tell you, that, that it's possible for everything in our life to be going well and for us to still be a mess. 
You know it is possible for all hell to be breaking loose around us and for us to be okay? What determines our ability to endure? What determines our ability to endure is the object of our faith. What determines our ability not to become full of pride and and arrogance when things are going great or not to become completely crushed when life is hard, what determines that is the object of our faith. What or who are we hoping in? How solid is it? See, what faith sees, what faith perceives is the God who is the object of our faith. What faith is able to perceive is Jesus. Earlier in the letter, after telling them in chapter 2 that Jesus had to be made, uh, uh, take, partake of flesh and blood just like us uh, so, that, so that through death he could conquer the one who has the power of death and free us from our lifelong fear to slavery. He says, after that, he says, in the beginning of chapter 3, therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who have been called to a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Set your thoughts and your minds and your view on Jesus who is the high priest of our confession. And then in chapter 12, at the, after, after going through this hall of faith in chapter 11 and chapter 12 that we'll get to in a few weeks, he starts out saying, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. You see, he doesn't describe biblical faith as a wish or a fantasy. He describes it with rock-solid terms. It is the assurance of the things that we hope for. It is the conviction about the things that we don't see with our eyes. Let me just, let me just throw this is for free. Uh, no charge to you. Look, th- we can't pluck this passage, right, out of con- its context and think that the things that we hope for, the things that we see, actually have anything to do with, um, with our American dreams. The pastor is not saying... Just believe hard enough and you'll get everything you ever wanted. This ain't Oz and God is not the wizard. He talks about faith as a conviction and assurance because he's gone to great lengths to show them the heavenly realities. They needed the ability to see the heavenly reality that was the source of the earthly shadow. He defines this kind of eyesight as faith. From the beginning of the letter, we saw it last week, he's been talking about the reality that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's there right now before the face of God the Father, interceding, advocating for his people. Jesus, the pastor has said, makes perfect everyone who draws near to God through him. He's been telling them, this is reality. This is the truth, and by faith we know it's certain. He doesn't say by faith we think 
the universe was created by the word of God? He said, no, by faith we understand that God spoke and the universe was framed and formed at his command. By faith we understand that God said, let there be and there was. He says, you remember Noah? If he thought only with his eyes, he never would have built the ark. There had never been a, a flood, but he was warned by God about the things that were not yet seen, and he responded to the unseen reality with reverent fear, that is, with a godly devotion. Noah didn't care that he looked like a fool building the ark. The pastor says that he saved his household, and, and by his faith he condemned the world who didn't respond in faith to the word of God. And at the same time, he became one in a long line of those who receive righteousness from God by faith. One commentator put it this way. Faith is a guarantee of the heavenly realities for which we hope. Not only does it render them certain for us, but it envisages, it, it views them as, as rightly belonging to us. It is in itself an objective assurance of our definite enjoyment of them. What faith sees is Jesus. What faith sees is Jesus crucified, buried, resurrected, and ascended for us. What, and what faith receives is God's commendation. The deal is that this faith is sanctioned by God. In other words, God himself put his stamp of approval on people who have this faith. The, the pastor says in verse 2, the people of old, those who came uh, before you Hebrews, by faith they received their commendation. Received their commendation from who? The pastor is talking about divine approval. The people of old received divine approval from God himself. That's what faith receives. Like we live in a city that's filled with professionals. Some of y'all in here are professionals, right? And in every various profession, you, got, you can get all kinds of certification. If you're an engineer, you can get a PE certification, professional engineer. If you're an accountant, you can become a certified professional accountant. It don't matter the industry. You got a certification that puts your, the stamp of approval on your legitimacy in what you do. And here's the deal. Whether you are a professional or not, whether you consider yourself to be a professional or not, nobody goes through life without wanting approval from somebody for something. Like even if you are a rebel, even if you are a rebel, you want other people to recognize that you're rebellious. <laughs> Ain't no point in being rebellious if nobody knows you're rebellious. <laughs> Everybody wants approval. And God, the creator of the universe, the only one who is eternal and unchanging and infinite and all-powerful, says that there is only one way for people to receive my stamp of approval. It's by faith. God commands us to believe, and then he commends us for believing. 
And Pastor starts this history lesson on faith by giving us uh, two people of old who were commended by God. We'll see in the next couple of weeks that he's about to go all in on these people of old. But now he starts with a couple. And listen, here's, a, here's my geeky English grammar lesson uh, this morning. Uh, the word that is translated in our text over and over again as commended is the same word that is normally translated in the Greek text as testify or to bear witness. And the reason that it is translated here as commended is because it's in the passive voice. And so what that is, means is it's a sense of somebody being testified about, about somebody being spoken well of or approved. God is saying these are the people that I speak well of. These are the folks that I testify about. Now that's crazy if you think about it. It's crazy if you think about it because how could it be that a holy and a righteous and a sovereign God could have anything good to say about busted up, broken down, sinful people like you and me? Well, God puts his stamp of approval on them. When he does it, he sanctions them, not for their perfection, but for their faith. Pastor says in verse 4, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous God, commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. He takes him back to Genesis chapter 4 in the first case of murder in the Bible. Cain kills his brother Abel out of jealousy and rage because of sin. Sacrifice was now a necessity and both brothers knew it and both of them brought God an offering. But the Bible says that the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he had no regard for Cain or his offering. And when Cain got angry, the Lord said to him, why are you angry? If you do well, will you not be accepted? What was the Lord talking about there? Doing well is living by faith. At the end of chapter 10 of Hebrews, the pastor quotes from Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 3 to 4, where God says, my righteous one shall live by faith. In this first example, the pastor says that Abel was commended as righteous by faith. God testified that Abel was righteous by accepting his gifts. God says, Abel is my man because he didn't try to roll up here with an offering that was external only. The difference was that Abel's heart was in the right place. He had an integrity of his, of his heart. His heart was directed toward God word, God's word and God's promise. In the chapter before Genesis 4 and Cain and Abel, God promises to send a savior when he says to the serpent, he'll put enmity between the serpent's offspring and the Eve's offspring. God would raise up an offspring to bruise the serpent's head. And Abel responds in faith to God's word and his promise. Even though he died, the pastor said, he still speaks. How does he still speak? His faith still speaks to us. 
How does it speak to us? In the last words of chapter 10, the pastor encourages them by saying, we are those who have faith and preserve their souls. Abel's faith speaks to the need for x-ray vision because even though he was murdered, he still lives. His testimony is that even though he paid the ultimate price for his faith. He still lives through God. He belongs to the number of those who have faith and keep their life despite what it looks like. Second example he gives comes from Genesis chapter 5. He's starting in chapter 4. Now he goes to chapter 5 with Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, the pastor says, he was commended as having pleased God. If Cain and Abel are the, the first incident of murder in the Bible, we can argue that, that what we find with Enoch in Genesis chapter 5 is the first miracle in Scripture. Enoch didn't see death. That is, he didn't experience death. God took him directly from life on earth to life in God's presence. The pastor says Enoch wasn't found because God took him. But he doesn't focus as much on the miracle as he does on Enoch's faith. By faith, he was taken up. Before he was taken, he was commended. God testified about Enoch that he pleased God. There was a point in Enoch's life where he began to trust God. In Genesis 5, 21, it says when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Then it says Enoch walked with God after the birth of Methuselah. God testifies again in Genesis 5, 24 that Enoch walked with God. What does it mean that he walked with God? To quote one commentator, it said it implies a personal knowledge with an ever-increasing understanding of the one with whom we walk. It implies agreement of mind and heart. When it is God with whom we walk, there is a hierarchy, just as when the disciples walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. One is Lord, the other is disciple. One is teacher, the other is student. One is father, the other is child. And this is a fitting description of the Christian life. Walking with God. Abiding with God. Jesus put it this way in John 15. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine and y'all are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. To say that Enoch pleased God is to simply say that he had faith. He walked with God. He abided in God. He understood where the source of his life was. He saw behind and beyond the scene. He understood what the pastor says in verse 6. And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Over and over and over again in this letter, 
The pastor talks about drawing near to God, drawing near to God. He says in chapter 4, verse 16, let us then with confidence, because Jesus is our great high priest, let us draw near to God, near rather to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And then in chapter 7, when he's talking about the law, he says, the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And then again in chapter 7, talking about Jesus, consequently, he says, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost most those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And then in chapter 10, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Here he is again. Saying these folk I'm talking about draw near to God. What faith sees is Jesus. What faith uh, receives is divine approval from God. What first faith seeks is to draw near to God. Here he is again for the sixth time in the letter telling them draw near to God. And without faith he says it is impossible to please him because those who would draw near to God, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You want to draw near to God? You got to believe. You got to believe what? You got to believe that God exists. Literally, he says, you got to believe that God is. There's a gospel song about that. God is. I won't go through that. (laughs) But right, God is. You got to believe that, that God is. The Hebrews would have been clear that he was pointing them back to the basic confessional statement for Israel out of Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In other words, anyone who comes to God needs to be straight on who he is. The one who would draw near to God by faith must do so seeking to know him as he is. You know, we often use that term seeker pretty loosely. Folks say, I'm seeking to know God. That might be true, but here's the deal. The fact of the matter is that apart from the faith that the pastor is talking about here, we only seek to know God on our own terms. When he says that those who would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him, he is talking about seeking God's grace. He is talking about seeking God's grace through faith by repenting of our sins and trusting in him. Listen, he's not actually talking about anything new here. When he said in chapter 4, let's draw near to the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It's the same thing as seeking God for his reward. The reward is not things. The reward is not stuff. The reward is God himself. God himself who is gracious and merciful, full of steadfast love and faithfulness. The reward we seek is God himself who will never leave or forsake his people, who gives life to the dead, who renews the strength of his people so that they can endure. Faith seeks to draw near to God for grace because you can't live by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ without 
at least sometimes, maybe often, maybe a little bit more than we are comfortable with without looking foolish in the eyes of people who don't. In the winter 2017 edition of Comment Magazine, a physician, Dr. Raymond Barfield, wrote an article titled, Seeing uh, the Beauty of Dappled Things. The article's subtitle is, A Poet Taught a Physician How to See Again. And the poet Dr. Barfield was talking about his 19th century Jesuit uh, priest, uh, Gerard Manley Hopkins, and Dr. Barfield was experiencing some burnout in his work. He said, I had lost my ability to see in the middle of institutional dysfunction and the never-ending stream of urgent tasks demanding my attention. He says, so, so much of what we toil after and trade our time for is bound to our attempts to stabilize a world that is teetering on change and dissolution. So much, he says, of what we labor for, what we spend our energies on is about trying to make things stable, trying to make our world right. He describes the way out of the burnout for him as a, he said it, it was a different kind of seeing. He said, over time, I discovered that one way past this crisis was to recover a kind of mindful wonder at the beauty that shows up in my work and life, even when the stories are hard or tragic. The opening lines of one of uh, the priest Hopkins' poems simply says, the world is charged with the grandeur of God. The world is charged, it is electrified, it is, it is energized with the grandeur of God. Are you and I able to see the grandeur of God in the mundane experiences of life in this world? To do so, Dr. Barfield rightly says that the seeing one, the one who's seeing, must be emptied of buzzing distraction and surrender to the seeing as a mode of love, love as agape and love as the fire of eros, a desire that consumes without destroying. This is the drive in drawing near to God by faith, the grace for eyes to see with lenses of love. It's true that communities are broken. It is true that people are broken. It is true that institutions are broken. It is true that we are broken. But it is more true that God is a redeemer and a healer. It is more true that he specializes in restoring what is broken. It is more true that God's promise cannot fail. Can we see it? Can you see it this morning? Can you see that the promises of God are all yes and amen in Jesus Christ? Can you see beyond what you see? Listen, what's your eyesight like this morning? What's your eyesight like this morning? We're about to celebrate is Lord's Supper. We're about to come to this table together to partake and to participate. Listen, this, 
It's a meal that we eat by faith. <laughs> you got to have x-ray vision to come to this table. I, you know, I often, like I often don't eat on Sunday morning uh, until the Lord's Supper. It's because, look, I know, like my faith is so daggone weak. Sometimes I need to just be hungry physically when I'm coming to the table. I need to be hungry physically to be reminded that I'm coming by faith in the God who feeds me. And that that is precisely what he's doing when I'm eating the bread and drinking the cup. That by, by faith he is strengthening my faith. <laughs> Do you know? I, I'm, I'm done. I got no more notes. But I, so let me just say it and I'll be done. He says, without faith, the pastor says, it is impossible to please God. It is impossible to please God. What's crazy is we can think, oh, well, look, 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 that just means I got to work, I got to work, I got to work, I got to work to please God. I got to work on my faith so I can please God more. You know how the pastor ends this letter with his benediction? I might, end this, I might do this benediction today, we'll see. He says, now made a God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. He says, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs glory now and forevermore. Did you catch that? He said, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. So who does the work in us that pleases him? It's him. It's him. This is not about getting on your grind to grind up your faith. It's about the grace of God that meets us and the spirit of God who works in us according to the good pleasure of God that our lives are pleasing to God because of his presence. Listen, please, please, please do not hear me trying to beat you up and say you got to work on your faith more. What I am saying to you is have you seen Jesus? Have you seen the one who is the promise and the wisdom of God who can give you a vision for the truth in spite of walking on broken sidewalks? who can make you see, oh, we can go into this world and live as instruments of our Redeemer to talk about the beauty of God and the glory of God in the midst of the most ugliness because the ugliness is not the ultimate reality. God is the ultimate reality. And his promise is the one that stands forever. Would you pray with me? Oh, for eyes to see, Lord. Oh, for eyes to see you. To see you as our king. 
to see you as our Lord, to see you as our God, to see you as our righteousness, to see you as our hope, to have a faith that endures, that we might live in this world as your people, bearing witness, testifying to your goodness and redeeming power. God, would you make it so? We're desperate for you to do this so that we would be people who live for your glory. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Something we